Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, and I am your host. On the agenda this evening, last night, UFC on ESPN 29, a card that kind of got buried. Kind of got buried in the talk of the... Not because it was a bad card. It wasn't great on papers. Uh, I can't say great in practice, but pretty darn good. Uh, Unfortunately, it was up against a couple of things. It started at the same time as WWE SummerSlam, which was running on a rare Saturday, just as kind of a test-the-waters idea, I suppose, from the good people over there. And then there was the Manny Pacquiao and... uh, your Dennis Ugas? I can never pronounce that guy's first name properly. But the Pacquiao-Ugas boxing match, which took place... Again, all these were running at the same time at one point. Uh, yeah, and not really surprising that in that space, uh, the UFC event was the one that kind of took a hit. This wasn't a terribly sexy card on paper, but eh, we'll get into the results of that. Uh, there were some other events. We'll talk a little bit about some of them. Uh, PFL had an event. Talk a little bit about Manny and Ugas. Uh, from what I've seen of it, I haven't had a chance to watch the whole fight yet, but I've seen a chunk of it. So we'll talk. Uh, and then next week, UFC on ESPN 30, which is doubling as the finale of this season of The Ultimate Fighter, of which I have watched exactly nothing. I have no interest in it. But the main event for this card, uh, boy, this card suffered some setbacks, didn't it? They lost a, wow. Boy, did they lose fights. Sorry, I'm looking at some of the stuff. We'll we'll get to the specifics. We will absolutely get to the specifics on that one. Uh, And then just whatever else kind of came about in the news. A few things came up. Uh, The UFC cut a few fighters, not really surprising. Uh, And Misha Tate talked about fighter pay a little bit. Uh, so I, I have some thoughts on that because uh, I hate beating the drum because I always wind up saying the same thing. But the way this came about, I think, raises a slightly different point of contention that needs to be discussed a little bit. So hopefully it's not just the same old, same old script coming out of my end on this one. But that is on the agenda this particular evening. So before we get too much further... If you would, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell a stranger. I don't care. Now, that would all be very much... Any of that is very, very much appreciated. Uh, guys, I hate saying it. I I know you hate listening to it, too. But if you would, please, that helps out a lot. It really That sounds stupid, right? It really does, but it helps the algorithm, and there are... Entities, uh, business entities and otherwise, that track that stuff. And that's that helps. It does. It really helps grow the show. So any of that that you can do to help out is much appreciated. I thank you very much in advance for that. All right. Let's jump into last night, UFC on ESPN 29. Uh, your main event, Jared Cannonier defeats Kelvin Gastelum via unanimous decision, 48-47 across the boards. That was my scorecard as well. Kendanier wins rounds one, three, and four. Uh, Gastelum, I think, 
believe Gasly... Yeah, so Gasly took two and five. I'm just... The first round I thought was a little bit close, but Cannoneer... <sighs> Cannoneer taking it doesn't... Uh, is correct. Um, what do you say about this fight? Gastelum remains a guy who has a lot of tools. And on the right night is a championship caliber fighter. But there's just not really any consistency there. Fight to fight. It's it's something you keep struggling with, man. Um, he put in some good work here. He had a couple of really nice... I mean, Gastelum's game is not... Uh, it's not fancy. Gastelum does the basics. And he does the basics really, really well. And that's not an easy thing to do, and he deserves all the credit in the world for it. And he had some good punching combinations that he landed. He got dropped in the third. Uh, Kennedy was switching stances a bit, mostly orthodox, but he would switch. And he dropped Gastelum with a really nice right hook out of the southpaw stance that uh, sat him, again, dropped him, sat him down. But Gastelum's head is a cinder block, man. He bounced right back up and not, he got back to work. Uh, they they had a good fight. wasn't wasn't great. wasn't in my estimation wasn't your fight of the night even. I don't think they gave out a fight of the night for this card, which is uh, an absolute travesty. Just because. Well, I don't want to get too deep into that. Um, the UFC released or Endeavor rather. Released their first quarter, uh, their I think it was their first quarter earnings, uh, or their most recent quarter for for uh, 2021, and the UFC continues to make money hand over fist. Um, I run, I shouldn't say ironically enough, but somewhat pursuant to that, Endeavor, with all the money the UFC brought in, which was a large number, Endeavor itself still. Uh, still posted a loss of like 200 million dollars. Now, operating at a operating at a deficit is something businesses do all the time. That's not they're not going out of business by any stretch of the imagination. But it does sort of the UFC at the moment is kind of keeping that whole enterprise afloat. Uh now, a lot of talent agencies are kind of having a rough go of it for the little, for the last, you know, 18 months or so for understandable reasons. If you're a talent agency and, you know, the world shut down for large periods of time in 2020, it, you're going to take a hit. You know, uh, the, I mean, the, the theatrical box office is not at all recovered. I mean, we're, we're seeing very, very depressed numbers in that area. Uh, you know, sports are finally getting back a little bit. They've, a lot of them have kind of finally figured out what's going on, but the UFC and Endeavor owning that is kind of what's keeping them going at the moment. They'd be in pretty serious trouble otherwise. Uh, but the UFC posted a, their biggest, I think it was their biggest first quarter ever, um, which can at least partially be attributed to two Conor McGregor fights within that time frame. That's sort of naturally going to elevate 
your numbers like that when you have when your biggest star and I think Connor is probably the biggest star in the UFC, especially now that Khabib is retired. Uh, with that, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna boost business and numbers like that. But point being, the UFC it wouldn't kill them to be a little bit more generous with uh, some of their post fight bonuses, but we'll. Well, I want to save some of that more, some of that uh, discussion for later. Uh, but Cannoneer and Gastelum was a good fight. Uh, Gastelum late had a nice little rally. He couldn't quite find his takedown game, which I think hampered things. Both men landed punches. Both they chewed each other's legs up pretty, pretty well. Uh, I imagine they're both limping around today. Uh, would be my guess. Uh, but Cannoneer was your rightful winner. And I don't know what I don't quite know what the future is for him in the immediate sense, and there's a few reasons for that. He should be next in line for the title, by all rights. However, news kind of came out. This was a little bit quieter, but uh, as far as the news goes, so I haven't talked about it yet much. But the UFC had been aiming for the rematch between Adesanya and Whitaker to be at Madison Square Garden in November. At the moment, with some of the COVID restrictions going on both in New York and uh, where both the relevant fighters live, uh, Adesanya lives in New Zealand, Whitaker lives in Australia, it looks like that's going to be pushed back. Some of that's also just like internal restrictions. They can't necessarily train the way they want to, etc. I mean, there's a lot of variables here. But with all of those variables, it looks like that fight is being pushed to sometime first quarter of 2022. I don't know that Cannoneer is going to sit out for almost a full year by the time it's all said and done to get his title shot. He said after the fight, uh, yeah, I'm broke, so I need to keep fighting. Now, I don't... I'm going to address his things with some of the other fighter pay stuff that I want to talk a little bit about. So I'm not going to get too deep into that right here, but if he's... Uh, I don't know who would be next for him. Now, we do have a few... Uh, I mean, it's a fight that um, Adesanya wants. So he's... Uh, so Cannoneer's in a good spot for a title shot. It's just the timing that's going to wind up being awkward. I don't really know who would be next for him is one of the problems. He's beaten a lot of the top guys. What do the rankings look like right now, actually? Because he was number... Th I think he was three coming into this. And I'm going to confirm that. Yeah, he was number three. Um, maybe you do him against the winner of Costa and Vittori. Because that's a fight that's coming up... Uh, Almost has a fight coming up. Jeez. He's already beaten Hermanson. Uh, Till's not really in the best spot overall for that division. Weidman's still out. Weidman shouldn't be ranked. He's he's still out with the injury. Like that, that I, I'm not saying that he's not one of the 15 best middleweights in the UFC. I'm saying he shouldn't be ranked because uh, he's inactive maybe you could he hasn't fought Costa or Vittori so maybe the winner of that fight uh, if you because the winner of that fight why is Costa number two 
Seems odd. Sorry, just... Eh. The UFC's ranking system annoys me from time to time. Um, Sean Strickland? Strickland's got a fight coming up. Strickland's fighting Luke Rockhold, as memory serves. Um, so if Strickland beats Rockhold, maybe you do Strickland Cannoneer? That's a thought. Uh, so if he wants another fight, it's got to be somebody else near the top of the division, is kind of the point there. Or maybe you pay him to be on deck for uh, Adesanya and Whitaker in case something happens to that fight. Uh, I mean, that, that's not the worst idea in the world as far as that goes. As for Gastelum, man, that this is a bad loss. I mean, Cannoneer's still one of the best... He's not losing to Scrubs. But the reality is the man is 1-5 in his last six fights. He lost in that epic fight with Adesanya for the interim title. That was the best fight of 2019 from where I sat. One of the best fights ever. Great fight. Drops a split decision to Darren Till. Maybe could have gone his way, but you still dropped it. Gets tapped out by Jack Hermanson. Beats Ian Heinish to really kind of salvage his run at that moment, because three losses in a row is three losses in a row. I don't care that they're... Even if they're against that level of opposition, it's not good. Then he drops a five-round unanimous decision to Robert Whitaker that wasn't... That wasn't close. I mean, those were all 50-45 scores in that fight, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Drops all five rounds against Whitaker. Now, you can correctly say that Whitaker is... At worst, the... Th I think at worst, Whitaker's the second best middleweight in the world. I don't especially care what Big John McCarthy has to say about how Musasi would school him on the ground. I, I don't buy that. Uh, if we're talking, like, pure jujitsu, maybe, but we're not, and Whitaker's very difficult to get down, he's almost impossible to hold down, and Musasi is faded. Even the best version of Musasi against this version of Whitaker, I would pick Whitaker handily. Point being, Whitaker, you know, second best middleweight in the world at worst, if not the... His rematch with Adesanya, I am so looking forward to that fight. And here he loses to the number three contender in the form of Cannoneer. So, you look at all those guys, current champion, Darren Till, but that was split. So you can maybe hang your head on that. The Hermanson one is a bad one, especially because he was submitted. Then Whitaker and now Cannoneer. These are all... I mean, his only losses at middleweight in the UFC are Chris Weidman, Adesanya, Till, Hermanson, Whitaker, and Cannoneer. That's... That is a lot of top-end talent in that division. Kelvin Gastelum's career... I, I mean, I'm not going to... I'm not going to say he's had the stiffest UFC run through the UFC, because I don't think he has. But he's not... Re What's the easy... If we look at his UFC career, came into the UFC 5-0. and Beats Uriah Hall. Beats Brian Melanson. Maybe a little bit softer. Split decision against Rick Story. Beats Nico Musoke. Maybe a little bit softer there. Runs over Jake Ellenberger. Okay, Ellenberger might have been a little bit... I mean. You can say whatever you want about Ellenberger's overall career, but in 2014, he was he was a, he was on a pretty serious downswing, I seem to recall. Um, yeah, yeah, that was his third loss in a row at that point. Yeah, so not an easy fight, but 
not the t then lose the split decision to Tyron Woodley. Nate Marquardt in 2015 was maybe a little bit of a soft touch. Lose the split decision to Neil Magny, another good fight. Johnny Hendricks uh, moves up to middleweight. Tim Kennedy, Vitor, Vitor Belfort in 2017. Okay, that was... <laughs> that was a little bit just, yeah, yeah. Then Weidman, former champion, beats Bisbing, beats Jacare, another split decision, but I thought he had that one. Did I score that for... I can't remember how I scored that fight in real time. Then the aforementioned speak of Adesanya, Till, Hermanson, Heinish, Whitaker, and Cannoneer. There's not... There's a couple of soft-er touches, but none of those are gimmies. And you could maybe argue the Marquardt one. Maybe. And maybe the Belfort one. But apart from that... I mean, even when you look at some of the, his early UFC careers, you know, guys like Nico Masoke and Brian Melanson, you may not remember them, and they weren't around the UFC all that long, but at that time, Gastelum had, doesn't even have 10 professional fights. So he's fighting an appropriate level of opposition, and both of those gentlemen had had success in the UFC at that point, I believe. Double-check Nico. And Nico Masoki had won uh, two fights in the UFC and had a fairly long winning streak, actually. And Melanson, uh, he had a successful UFC debut, and then you know, then lost to Gaslam, and then hasn't been seen since. Uh, but you're not, you're not. He never got a. Until he was rebounding from the Woodley loss, he didn't really get a, a get a, again a soft kind of tune-up fight. He got you know, older Nate Marquardt and older Belfort, but other than that, there's not a there's not an easy fight in that whole lineup. But that all that does catch up to you, man. And he's a young guy. He's he's younger than I. He's significantly younger than I am, actually. He's he's what? Yeah, he's not even thirty. Born in 1991. I'm old and I'm washed up, man. Uh, yeah, he was. He's 29. Like, he turns 30 this year. But that that adds up, man, and I don't know what he does from here. It's not like he got blown out. He didn't fight badly. But his time around the top of the division might be done. And I hate to say that. Partially because I'm not sure it's true. But at a minimum, he's going to need some... He's going to need some time to kind of rebuild himself. Uh, this... One and five in your last six is a horrible spot to be in. I don't care who you are. That's just how that is. Uh, speaking of horrible streaks and bad spots, God. Mark Madsen defeats Clay Guida via split decision. There was a 29-28 for Guida, 29-28 for Madsen, 30-27 for Madsen. I was 29-28 Madsen. I gave Guida the second. The judge who scored this for Guida, I, for, I I can't remember the judge's name, so I apologize, but piss on that guy. This wasn't that hard, buddy. At all. I, I don't understand how you got this wrong. Because, make no mistake, you got this very wrong. Giving Guida the second is perfectly acceptable. I think he won that round. There's not an argument for him winning the first, and there's not an argument for him winning the third. 
Sorry. Uh, there just isn't. Uh, <sighs> Guida, man. Look, I this is a hill I will die on. Somewhere between 85 and 90% of Clay Guida's fights are not entertaining. And anyone that's... If you heard that and your brain just exploded a little bit, one, you must be new to the show. And two, if your immediate response is, but the Diego Sanchez fight, okay, I give you that one. It's not as good as you remember it. I guarantee that, but okay. The first round of that fight, uh, sure. I don't think you could find... You know, let me go through his UFC run real fast, just just for the sake of argument. Debuts against Justin Janes, wins, loses to Dean Thomas, loses to Tyson Griffin, beats Marcus Aurelio. Uh, the where to fight. That's a good fight. That's a legitimately very good fight. Uh, Sammy Schiavano, that fight sucked. Mac Danzig, that fight sucked. Nate Diaz, he should have lost that fight. Diego Sanchez, aforementioned. Kenny Florian gets submitted in the second. Was alright. Shannon Gugarty, not a great fight. The jaw injury to Rafael Dos Anjos. Uh, the Gomi fight's not great. The Pettis fight's not great. The Benson Henderson fight's okay. His grit, that Gray Maynard fight, man. If you haven't seen that fight, it's from it's from a UFC on FX event, Maynard versus Guido. They were the main event. It is one of the worst fights you'll ever see. It is horrible. Uh, moves to featherweight, beats Hatsu Hiyoki, split wasn't great. G- uh, gets knocked out by Chad Mendez in. Uh, uh, that wasn't great, but wasn't awful. Just existed. Beats Kawajiri, loses to Bermudez, beats Peralta, loses to... Yeah, most of these are not good fights. Just The fights that he wins tend to be stinkers. The fights that he loses, even those, man. Even those. He His reputation exists... Because he moves a lot and he bounces and he's got a couple of fights that a lot of people saw and a lot of people very fondly remember. Some of them with good reason. I do want to stress that. The uh, Look, the Sanchez fight, I, I don't think it's as good as you remember it being. Because everyone remembers the first round. And the first round is bananas. Second and third, not so much. They're not bad, but they're not what the first round is, and that's fine. The first round of that fight is so crazy, you you couldn't sustain that. No one could. Uh, and a couple of these fights that people just remember. You know, his loss to Benson Henderson is a... Benson Henderson at that point in time, though, was on a tear, man. Uh, and the, you know, the Huerta fight's very good, certainly. You get just a couple of these fights that people remember fondly, and they kind of just forget, conveniently, all the crap. And he's also got a penchant for... He's not quite Diego Sanchez when it comes to winning fights he shouldn't, but he's he's kind of up there. Anyway, Madsen comes out first round, wins the first round. He jabs Guida up. He uh, Anytime they get close... Vicious knees to the body. He slows... Madsen slows down a bit in the second. Guida takes the second. He landed some of the better flurries. Uh, Couldn't get a takedown, but... 
The second round was his, from where I sat at least. Third round, Guida's punch rate drops off. Madsen keeps jabbing him up. And, yeah, I just, I don't understand scoring this fight for Guida. I just don't. Uh, Madsen remains undefeated. Uh, he's not, he called out Gregor Gillespie. I appreciate the sh the punching up, but I don't know how viable that is. That would be an interesting fight. You had, you have Gillespie, who is a former national champion in folk-style wrestling, and Madsen, a, an Olympic silver medalist, and I think a world champion, wasn't he? Um, hang on. No, a lot of silvers. But, jeez. He's a multiple-time, yeah, silver, he's a multiple-time uh, silver medalist at at the World Championships, won an Olympic silver medal. Like, the man can... Uh, but this is all Greco-Roman. The man can wrestle his butt off. Uh, he came in fifth in 2012, and then, yeah, again, second in Rio in 16. Uh, that that wrestling class would be interesting. Like, I'm, I'm down for the fight, certainly. I just, I think Gillespie is looking at other ranked opposition right now, so... Uh, but, you know, decent enough win for Madsen. That shouldn't have been split. Uh, really shouldn't have been split, man. Don't know what that judge was watching. Uh, at heavyweight, Parker Porter defeated Chase Sherman via unanimous decision. 230-27s, 129-28. I think I was 29-28. I'd have to double check. But this... This was your typical sloppy heavyweight fight where neither guy had packs enough power after the first three and a half minutes to actually put somebody out. So they hit each other with calf kicks and they kind of land some punches and they move and just rinse and repeat. Decent enough win for Porter, I suppose. Uh, Sherman is kind of a one-round fighter at heavyweight. Not that what he does after that becomes... Not that he doesn't have the cardio for three rounds... But whatever he does in the first round, he just can't seem to sustain it. And that's a pretty big problem. Uh, one of your one of the uh, surprise stories, Trevin Jones was supposed to fight someone else. He was supposed to fight... Well, okay, this fight started out as Mana Martinez and Jesse Strader. A week before the event, Strader pulled out and was replaced by Trevin Jones. Martinez pulled out during fight week, and in steps the Uzbek, uh, the Uzbekistan native, Saeed Yakub uh, Kakramanov. Kakramanov proceeds to on four. He missed weight. He weighed 138 and a half. I will forgive this man, because on about four days' notice he flew in for. I think he I think he does most of his training out of somewhere in the United States. But he was in Uzbekistan with family, flew literally across the world to be here on time. And on that short of notice, look, I will given those circumstances, I will I will ex I will forgive that man in this instance because everybody gets one. And you would be hard-pressed to find crazier circumstances than flying halfway around the freaking planet to get into a fight. And then he wins. These two had a pretty good fight. Uh, Hakramanov's 
Excuse me, Kakromanov's first K is there. The second one's a little bit more silent. He just had a good pace. He kept, he was able to clinch with Jones. I think I had them one and one going into the third. I have to double check. Then in the third, a fading Jones tries to take down. They scramble up and Kakromanov through this beautiful front headlock sequence jumps for a guillotine. They scramble up, switches. To, he's sorry. That's the first round. He goes for a standing guillotine, switches to a standing high elbow guillotine. Jones is defending. He switches to the ninja choke with a power guillotine. The naming convention will change a little bit depending on your school of thought and lineage, I suppose. It's the rear naked choke kind of grip with your elbow all the way down around and then you leverage it over. As I demonstrate to no visual component. Uh, and puts him to sleep with it. Uh, heck of a fight out of him, especially given the circumstances. Good for that man. Uh, excited to see what he can do. This is... Bantamweight might be surpassing lightweight. You get somebody on four days notice who can fight like this. I was, I'm not kidding when I say that bantamweight is maybe the most technically sophisticated division in all of MMA. And it's where most of the innovation comes from at this point in time. So, heck of a finish out of him. Good stuff. The only good stuff. What I thought was your fight of the night... Vince Pichel defeats Austin Hubbard for unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. These two had a good fight. Uh, Hubbard did a good job. Uh, he's, wasn't he stalled out a little bit here? He got taken down a few times, which is a bit of a rarity for Hubbard. He's got good takedown defense normally. Uh, Pichel was just kind of able to force him into this gritty, ugly fight, and that's where Pichel thrives. And good win for Pichel, who his lack of activity has kind of kept him under everyone's radar. I mean, if you don't remember, for a long time, Pichel was famous for one thing and one thing only. His UFC debut, when he fought Rustam Khabilov, and Khabilov knocked him out in the first round with suplexes. That's not a, that's not a joke. If you haven't seen that fight, look it up. He hits him with a series of, like, German suplexes, the last of which knocks Pichel out. Now, Khabilov is not even in the UFC anymore, and Pichel is on a three-fight winning streak. Just one of those things men would not have expected... Coming out of that fight would not have expected Pichel to last longer in the UFC than Khabilov did. Uh, I mean, Khabilov, jeez. Uh, yeah, he he's yeah he's out of the UFC now. I want I couldn't remember when he fell out of the UFC, but yeah, he's out at the moment. He is set to debut in Bellator later this year. Yep, solid win for Pichel, man, who's still just chugging along. And kicking off the main card, Alexandre Pantoja defeated Brandon Royval via rear naked choke, 146 of the second. Uh, great fight. High-paced fight. Pantoja was able to kind of to get inside of Royville, get around to his back, and force these prolonged grappling scrambles 
Uh, Roybal is just... That man does not sit still on the ground. Unfortunately, in the second, for just long enough, he's, he couldn't stop the hooks. And once Pantoja got the hooks in, he started fishing for the choke. He got it. He was able to put to force the tap. Pantoja should get the next title fight, which is interesting because Pantoja has defeated current champion Brandon Moreno not once, but twice. Uh, he defeated him... Is it twice? Or were they counting? Yeah, they're counting the tough. They're, they're count they were both on a, the season of The Ultimate Fighter where they were trying to find a challenger for Demetrius Johnson. I don't count that officially, but they did fight there, and he did submit Moreno with a rear naked choke. They fought in the UFC in 2018. Pantoja taking a pretty wide decision. Um... Yeah, there were two 30-26s and one 30-27 on that scorecard. I forget how I scored that. I'd have to go back and look it up. But, you know, Moreno has grown leaps and bounds since then. I don't know how... My inclination would be to lean towards Moreno in a rematch. But Moreno in that second fight with Figueredo might have just had, you know, that miracle night. Not to say he couldn't beat Figueredo anyway, but... You rewatch that fight, and it's magic when, for a fighter when everything clicks. When everything is clicking. That fight for Brandon Moreno, everything was clicking. And I don't know that he'd need that same kind of, you know, miraculous performance to... I shouldn't say miraculous. That same kind of very, very, like, peak performance to beat Pantoja the way he did to beat Figueredo. But uh, my, my inclination would be to lean towards Moreno at this point, but I would not be shocked if Pantoja beat him again. So that's probably your next title fight, and I'm down for it. Uh, I know Figueredo's a little bit, he's going to be a little bit salty. He wanted an immediate rematch. There's no reason, there was no reason to give him one. There was nothing controversial about his loss. Not a darn thing. You didn't want to have to fight Brandon Moreno again. You shouldn't have kicked him in the groin in your first fight. And that Because if he doesn't get that point deducted, he wins that fight. It's still a great fight. And maybe they do an immediate rematch anyway because the fight was that good. That certainly has happened in the past. But you left that door open, buddy. Uh, that's on you. So we'll probably get Pantoja and Moreno... I am down for that fight, certainly. As for Royval, he's good. He's just young, man. He's just... I mean, he's hes not that young, actually. He's 29. I mean, 29. He's not even 30. I don't know why that suddenly became old to me. Uh, he's still a little bit... There's still some stuff that's got to get ironed out, but he's got time to iron it out. Uh... That's two in a row for him, though. He, his next fight's kind of a must-win. Anyway, that was your main card. As for the prelims, Austin Lingo defeated Luis Saldana via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Saldana took the first, landed some wicked body kicks, man. I mean, just he hurt, he hurt Lingo to the body a couple of times. That was the other, I think that was the other thing about. Um, uh, Kakromanov and Jones was... Jones got hurt to the body. 
think that was the case. I'd have to double check. Uh, anyway, Lingo endured a tough first round and Saldana just couldn't keep up the pace. And Lingo takes the second and third rounds uh, non-controversially. Bantamweight Brian Kelleher defeated Domingo Pilarte via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. I actually gave him a 10-8 in the first. It was a borderline one, but I thought it was deserved. Uh, Pilarte, just off his back, was close guard, tried to work it, and just kind of got controlled and smashed from there. Uh, let's see. Uh, we opened this card with four consecutive finishes. It was The bodies were dropping. One of those... At women's bantamweight, Josiane Nunes defeated Bea Malecki via knockout. Nice uh, left-hand punch, 454 of the first. I Okay, if you're a tall fighter in the UFC, and Bea Malecki is a very tall bantamweight, very long bantamweight, I would like you to do something for me, personally. Watch several Stefan Struve fights. And understand that he's doing everything wrong about fighting like when you're that much taller than your opposition. If you have that kind of physical advantage, you have to fight to it. And Maleki didn't. She kept letting Nunes get inside and then eventually tried to exit the pocket with her hands down and got clobbered. Uh, yeah. See, light heavyweight William Knight defeated Fabio Charant via TK, excuse me, knockout punches. Hit him with a nice little, just kind of check left hook backing up that face planted him. Uh, 358 of the first. Your, your knockout of the night, if they gave that out, and you're certainly a knockout of the year contender. Ignacio Bahamondes defeated Roosevelt Roberts with a w- spinning heel, with a wheel kick. I don't know why you have to call it a spinning wheel kick. It's a wheel kick. It always... I don't know. Uh, naming conventions between different martial art disciplines, I suppose. Uh, 455 for the third. Beautiful knockout. Uh, and Bahamundes was on his way to winning that fight anyway, but... Nice, nice move. They both came out of a clinch southpaw. He does a nice little uh, step through in reverse, switching his stance drawing Roberts to kind of keep circling to Roberts' own right. Uh, sorry, to Roberts' own... Yeah, his own right. And that just moves him right into the wheel kick. Lovely finish. Lovely finish from Bahamundes. And kicking everything off, Ramiz uh, Brahimai defeated Sasha Politnikov via rear naked choke. Technical submission here put him to sleep. 233 of the first. Once this hit the ground, Brahimai just passed guard, got the full mount, got the back. Fairly academic stuff at that point. Uh, your performances of the night, there were four of them. Pantoja, Bahamondes, Knight, and Nunes. No real objection to that. I, I would have given Pichel and Hubbard a fight of the night, but maybe I'm just a big softie. So, that was that event. All in all, a solid night of fights. Yeah, Not great, but it started out hot those first... Pretty much every one of those first four fights. Uh is worth your time if you can find them. Then your main event was good. Uh, Madsen and Guida was all right. Porter and Sherman was sloppy crap. Uh, it, it, it wasn't a bad night of fights. It's just between Pacquiao and the WWE running an event, there was just not a lot of oxygen. Uh, in, in There are some people who 
don't like the fact that MMA has a lot more in common with pro wrestling than it does with boxing in some respects, but it's true. I don't think the I don't think the audience crossover is necessarily what it used to be in that respect, but they still kind of operate in similar spaces, and especially if you're trying to talk about generating buzz online, uh, not a lot of it for this event. If you're you know following the MMA people, the right MMA people on Twitter, you got all of it because that's how you pro- that's how you can curate your Twitter experience. But uh, yeah, there was. It was just a lot of other stuff that was being, that was getting buzz, whereas this kind of fell a little bit by the wayside. But I thank you very much to everyone who read my full report or who followed along live. I know there was at least one of you. I want to, I want to thank you, sir. I assume, sir. I apologize if that's incorrect, but I feel okay take, making the assumption and just apologizing if I'm wrong. Uh, uh, for you know, kind of trying to work in the comment section a little bit. I appreciate you a lot. So thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I, so you can find that in the MMA zone of 411mania.com if you want to read my round-by-round, play-by-play coverage. So thank you very much. I appreciate all of you for that. All right. Hey, before I move into my preview, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the other combat sports stuff from the week. Uh, let's start with the PFL, uh, because we had, we had a couple of things. One, Kayla Harrison, God, Kayla Harrison killed somebody, which is kind of normal for her. <laughs> this, that woman is a beast. That one is just a beast. Unfortunately for the PFL, they lost what little drama they might have been able to squeeze out of this season, as far as the women's lightweight tournament goes. The other half of the bracket, um, Larissa Pacheco was over there, and Pacheco had taken, uh, she took Harrison the distance in the previous tournament, lost pretty clearly, but survived all five rounds, and had done pretty solid work throughout the tournament thus far, and to the extent that there was intrigue, it was in seeing those two fight again. Unfortunately, Pacheco, for her uh, semifinal fight, Missed weight pretty badly. Uh, uh, to the point where she, her fight was called off, someone else stepped in. Uh, yeah, it, Missing weight at women's lightweight, that's never going to be a good look. Uh, just, oof, it's never good. So, it's fully expected that Harrison will now just run over this without issue. I mean... She was probably going to steamroll Pacheco anyway, but Larissa Pacheco was also, I think, pretty easily the second best fighter uh, in the tournament. So there was a little bit of intrigue there. Now, yeah, nothing. Uh, (laughs) Kayla Harrison's going to collect another million dollar check from the PFL without issue. The big question as far as Kayla Harrison goes is what's next for her? Will she stick around the PFL after this season? Or will she move over to Bellator or the UFC? Now, she's she's proven she can make 145. She did so at an Invicta event and left her poor, poor opponent. She left a crime scene in that cage, man. That was... She brutalized that girl. Uh, but she could potentially fit into either Bellator or the UFC if she's willing, if she's able 
to consistently make 145. There are fights for her in both organizations. If she goes the Bellator route, the obvious fight is uh, with Cyborg. And they started kind of sniping at each other a little bit. Whereas in the UFC, you couldn't throw... I don't think you could throw her right in there with Amanda Nunes. I think you would want one fight to introduce her to the UFC audience. But that's not really out of the question. There's a bunch of... You could put her in there with someone like Jermaine Durandamy. You could... I don't know, maybe Holly would go back up to 145 for that fight. Uh, Those are both tough fights for Kayla, but they're not outside the realm of possibility either. Uh, Or, you know, you find some other bantamweight that wants to... uh, that's willing or is bullied into accepting that fight at 145. Uh, But that's a possibility too. She... She's indicated that she wants that she might want to fight elsewhere. She said if the PFL wants to keep her around, they're going to have to offer her pretty serious cash. You might be going, isn't the million dollar prize at the end of each season serious money? It is, but there's also, you know, how much do you make fight over fight? Which is something to consider and Being somewhat realistic, there are opportunities to make more money in the UFC or Bellator than just the million-dollar payday for the PFL, uh, depending on how a few other things play out. I don't know if Kayla is... If she's able to leverage being on a bigger show with a bigger promotion to gain some kind of sponsorship opportunity outside the cage, that might wind up being more valuable to her. Uh, a lot of fighters don't have that opportunity these days with how the UFC structures itself, but, I mean, Bellator doesn't have that restriction. Uh, she might be able to get more money from her sponsors if she's on Bellator as opposed to on ESPN for the PFL. I don't know for sure. That's a, that's a you know, behind-the-scenes detail that's between her camp and her sponsors. Uh, but point being, the opportunity exists... Uh, the potential exists for her to make more money outside the PFL if she steps up towards a Bellator or the UFC level. Uh, just uh, just as a thought. So we don't quite know what's next for her. Um, the other big thing from the weekend, the fight, the boxing bout between Manny Pacquiao and... Let me look up this gentleman's name because I have to pronounce it. And uh, your Dennis Ugas. Um, Ugas wins. A little bit surprising, actually. A lot of people were kind of leaning more towards Manny in this fight. Ugas was stepping in on short notice. This was supposed to be Manny Pacquiao and... Oh, who was he supposed to fight? I... Yeah, give me a sec. Uh, Errol Spence. That was it. He was supposed to fight... Pacquiao was supposed to fight Errol Spence Jr. Spence fell out with, I believe, a detached retina, which is nothing serious... Which is nothing to joke about. I mean, that's a serious injury. Get that fixed. Uh, Ugas stepped in, again, this was on short notice. I mean, I forget exactly how short, but fairly short. Um, we're talking less than a month, I seem to recall. Uh, anyway, Ugas wins a unanimous decision. 116-112 twice, and then 115-113. Um... What I, I again, I haven't been able to watch the whole fight. I have no problem with Ugas winning based on what I've seen. 
and listen, looking at what other people said uh, who watched the whole thing, either live or after the fact, the right man seems to have won here. Uh, this There's now a lot of talk about Manny Pacquiao retiring. Um, I don't think that's been confirmed, but I want to double-check. Um, I... Because I, uh, I, I mean, the man's old. He's, geez, how old is he, man? He's, uh, I mean, he hasn't confirmed some kind of retirement yet, but he's, uh, he's thinking heavily about making a run for the presidency of the Philippines. And he's been a senator for him. Mean, he's a Filipino. He's been a senator for them before. He's, if he wants to make a serious run as, at that uh, political office, that's a, you might be able to split time as, yeah, as, as something of a senator. I don't think you can split time if you're, you can't split time if you're president. Uh, so he's got, but he's, um, he's what, 40? Over? How old is he? Um, yeah, he is born in 1978. He's 42. I had to double check when his birth date was. And he's still out there, you know, fighting. I mean, he, the man's an eight-division champion. He's one of the best boxers that's come out, especially for the lighter weight classes. He is an all-time great. His spot in the Hall of Fame is undoubtedly secured. He's again, he is a figure of significance in boxing and has been for some time. The fact that he rebounded after he had I mean, he was on a, he had a really good stretch in his career for a long period of time. And then he had a really odd sequence where he lost a split decision to Timothy Bradley that I, I didn't understand the scoring on that one, but okay. Then he got flat, absolutely flat line face plant knocked out by Juan Manuel Marquez in their fourth fight goes on to win three fights and then gets his fight with Floyd Mayweather to determine definitively who is the best of their era. He loses a clear unanimous decision then he just kind of sticks around, whereas Floyd would only go on to have, I think, three more, two or three more fights. Uh, he had one, yeah, he had just two, actually. He had the one fight after, um, and then he fought Connor. Whereas Pacquiao beat Bradley in their trilogy fight, beat Jesse Vargas, lost to Jeff Horn. People thought he might be done after that. Came back, won three in a row. Uh, including his last win when he beat uh, Keith Thurman. That may have been split, but that was a heck of a fight, especially for, you know, a guy his age against someone up all the way there were at, what, welterweight? For a guy who started his career... At... All right, look, he started at flyweight, and you have to do some math here, people. In boxing, lightweight starts at 135. 
So for them, flyweight is around the 118 mark. Uh, so he start for him to start there and then fight all the way up at welterweight for boxing is around 160 something like I forget they're not always in five pound increments so forgive me if I if I'm off on this but because uh, middleweight's 158 so 160 something to start your career at you know, 118. And then, 18? Sorry. 108. Oh, my brain did not do well there. Sorry. Flyweight's like 10, again, like the 108, 110 mark. Because lightweight's 135, featherweight's 125, bantamweight's 118. Yeah, flyweight. For start, starting that low... And then ending your career fighting 60-some-odd pounds heavier and winning a lot of those? The man held recognized world titles in eight weight classes. The first ever to do that, that's... The man is an all-time great. And if he's finally reached kind of the end of the road, that needs to be acknowledged. He's not just one of the best, he's one of the most important, he's one of the highest-selling... He's his career is something that needs to be appropriately lauded and that needs to be acknowledged, as does the great fight Ugas put in and credit to him on short notice, stepping in against an all time great and just outworking him consistently over the entire uh, over the entire fight. You know, good, good for him, man. Seriously, good for him. Biggest, probably the biggest win of Ugas's career. Uh. Double check real fast some of his other. Yeah, yeah, pretty easily actually. The only other really recognizable name on his resume that you might know is Sean Porter, and he lost that fight. So, I uh, just wanted to acknowledge that real fast. That took place. Uh... Yeah, it was. Uh... That particular so that particular fight. I need to finish watching the fight itself, but. Yeah, that took place, so fairly busy weekend for combat sports in that particular respect. All right, moving on, because we don't want to be here all night. UFC on ESPN 30 next, uh, this coming Saturday. Main event, Edson Barboza, Giga Chikaze. This, is the only, this isn't the only fight I'm going to spend some time talking about, but it's, it's the best fight on this card by a pretty wide margin. I, actually, I can't say that now that I look at that. But it's the main event, deserves to be the main event. This is a great fight. Barboza doesn't fight a lot of other guys. I can't say he doesn't fight a lot. He doesn't fight a lot of other guys who are strikers. Who will just kind of stand and trade with him. Now, he gets them on occasion. And you know, Shane Burgos stood with him for that fight for as long as it lasted. That was a great fight. Um, he had the loss to Paul Felder in 2000. That precipitated his featherweight drop. I thought he won that fight. Uh, lost the split decision to Dan Ige. Doing that live, I scored that for Ige. Rewatching it, I'm a little bit... I'm I'm more Barboza. Uh, then beats Makwan Amirkani, knocks out Shane Burgos. Uh, Ch- Giga is an interesting kind of fighter for him because Giga's the better technical striker. But 
if you want to be able, if you want to beat Barboza on the feet, you, it's not just about pressuring him. That's part of it. It's also pace, and it's 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 motion-based pressure more than anything. I think you can pressure someone a lot of different ways. You have to stay in Barboza's face. You can't let him settle, and you can't let him find a rhythm. Now that's not easy, and it's dangerous, and <laughs> you're gonna get hit. But that's really kind of been his kryptonite. And Giga's not quite that kind of striker. He's much more a technical sniper. And that presents a dangerous proposition for him as it relates to how he's going to fight Barboza. Uh, Giga fights out of both stances, um, whereas Barboza is almost exclusively orthodox. Barboza has good hands. Uh, he goes to the body a lot. If this were three rounds, I would be I would feel better picking Barboza. I think I don't know how five I don't know how he's gonna hold up over five rounds at featherweight. Um, featherweight's not the easiest cut in the world for him. I I mean it's clearly doable, and he has somewhat against the odds rejuvenated his career down here. Uh, but the five-round thing is just... I'm not entirely sure. Um, I mean, he went into the fifth round against Kevin Lee before the doctor stopped that fight. And he got beat up by Kevin Lee, man. But, I, I'm again, the featherweight, I'm just not sure. If this were three rounds, I would pick him. I might still... I'm still going to pick him. I would feel more confident if he were if we were at uh, three rounds instead of five. Over five, I think Giga has a, will find some options. Uh, but this should be a really good fight. I lean Barboza, but just a little bit. All right, your next two fights, I know I know nothing. These are the finales for the Ultimate Fighter at middleweight and bantamweight. But, um, your middleweight one is between Ryan ba uh, Brian Battle, excuse me, and Gilbert Urbina. I believe this was supposed to be somebody else. Let me double check this. Uh, yeah, this was supposed to be Trayson Gore. But Gore got injured in Steps Urbina. I don't know. I haven't seen a single solitary minute of The Ultimate Fighter because I don't want to. I don't enjoy it. If you do, Godspeed and party on. I'm not judging you. I think it's a, I don't like the show. I think it's well outlived its usefulness, especially with the puppy mill that is uh, Dana White's Contender Series serving largely the same purpose. This is more about trying to promote a fight. And the shenanigans between uh, Ortega and Volkanovski haven't seemed to be have drawn any sort of great praise. Apparently, they came out of this disliking each other more than when they went into it, though. So, I don't know. Uh, I I don't really... I haven't seen anything, so I don't know anything about this fight. I will pick Battle just because he was supposed to be there. But that means nothing. And at Bantamweight, Ricky Tersois? Uh, Tersois? I don't know how he pronounced that. Uh, pronounces that. And Brady Highstand. Um, I think this was the original event. The original fight between those two. We'll see if that holds up. Again, I know nothing. Flip a coin. That would tell you as much as my analysis would. I, I, I know nothing of these two gentlemen.
However, your next fight is actually a darn good one when Kevin Lee will fight Daniel Rodriguez. This was supposed to be a different fight. This was supposed to be Kevin Lee and Sean Brady, which is also a great fight. I'm sad that fell out, but Brady... Um, well, they were supposed to fight originally... Uh, they were supposed to fight at a different event. It got bumped to this one after Lee had an injury. This time, Brady had has the uh, inf an infection injury. It's another medical reason. And Rodriguez steps in. This is a serious test for Lee. Kevin Lee has been a little bit up and down. Uh, I mean, the poor man is stuck between weight classes in some respects. If, if there, he would kill to get a 165-pound weight class in. He was last seen losing to Charles Oliveira via guillotine choke after missing weight again. My inclination here should be towards Kevin Lee. He's a dominant wrestler. He's got a lot of athleticism and a lot of natural fight. He's got decent power, good kicks. Uh, again, his grappling, his back taking, it's all great. His ground and pound is solid. I think the size difference is going to be a bit of a problem here. And I'm just kind of a believer in Daniel Rodriguez as a general rule. I might feel very foolish at the end of the day after this fight happens, but I'm actually going to lean towards Rodriguez here. That that might be overly sentimental on my part, but that's... Uh, in fact, it probably is, but I'm going to stick with it. But that's a really good fight. Middleweight fight between Alan Petrosky and uh, Michael Gilmore. I assume these two gentlemen were on the season of The Ultimate Fighter. Because I don't know anything else about them. Um, God. I'm, yeah, I, I need to know. I can just see if they were. Yeah, yeah, these two are both from... Uh, these two are both from uh, Season of Tough. Uh, go with Petrosky. Sure. I, I, eh, I don't have anything. And kicking off the main card, we have Mahmoud Muradov and Gerald Mershart. Kind of a must-win for Mershart, and sadly against a uh, a guy you don't want to be in that position against. Muradov is 3-0 in the UFC, hasn't lost since 2016, when he suffered a, uh, a clavicle injury. This man's a beast, good grief. I mean, he has six total losses on his record, but, man, you go that long? So if we go back to the last time someone beat him, not injury-related, it's 2014. Uh... Whereas Mershart, uh, he beat Bartosz Fabinski. He choked him unconscious. Uh, before that, he was stopped by Ian, he uh, by Ian Heinrich and Kamzat Shemaev. With those via strikes. Kind of thought he should have won the Eric Anders fight. That was a split decision. I mean, I'm picking Muradov here. And and I've, I feel pretty safe in that pick, actually. Uh... That's your main card. As for the rest of this, this card lost several fights recently. Uh, 
I mean, very recently. So what we have announced for the moment for the rest of this, a middleweight fight between Sam Alvey and Wellington Terman. This is do or die for Mr. Terman, who has gone one and three in the UFC, and it should be do or die for Sam Alvey, who hasn't won a fight since 2018 when he beat John Volante via split decision. Ugh, Sam Alvey's fights are terrible. Uh, Terman. Yeah, I, I don't pick Sam Alvey to win at this point. Uh, light heavyweight fight between Dustin Jacoby and Darren Stewart. Uh, Stewart. He lost clean to Anders in their rematch. Uh, he should have beat Kevin Holland, though. That was a bad call by the refs that night. Jacoby had a split draw with Iwan Kutilaba. Hadn't lost in the UFC, though. I'll pick Jacoby. Uh, and a featherweight fight between Jamal Emmers and Pat Sabatini. You know, lean Emmers. But also currently announced, but not with a bout order, J.J. Aldrich and Vanessa Dim, uh, Di- Dimopoulos? Dimopoulos? I believe that's Dimopoulos. Assuming she's Greek. That should be pronounced Dimopoulos or something close to that. Anyway, this was supposed to be J.J. Aldrich and Tracy Cortez. Cortez pulled out. Um, Alessio DiCirico and Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Um, this was supposed to be Al-Hassan and Antonio Braganeto. Braganeto pulled out. In steps DiCirico. And Guido Canetti versus... He was supposed to fight Mario Bautista. This, however, uh, we don't have an announced replacement for him yet. We'll have to see if someone... If they go with that. Um, we were supposed to get a fight between Sarah McMahon and Ketlin Vieja. However, McMahon uh, aggravated some kind of injury. She's out and Vieja is being targeted to fight Misha Tate, main eventing some fight night uh, in the future. Um, we were supposed to fight, get Kevin Kroom and Marcel Rojo. Uh, Kroom was removed and Rojo was bumped to fight uh, on, the ne- on the card the week after. Uh, and we were supposed to get Jocelyn Edwards and Zara Farim Dos Santos. However, Edwards was removed. Uh, so Edwards got bumped to fighting Jessica Rose Clark uh, in October for undisclosed reasons. Yeah, this card suffered a lot. But that's it as it currently stands. And I, God, I hate these tough cards. I hate these tough finale cards. Not because the fights are always bad. They're frequently not. But the pacing is just the worst. It's just the worst. They're a chore. Look, it's going to be a solid card, if unspectacular, until Lee and Rodriguez. Then it's going to, the whole event is going to die for about 90 minutes for the tough finale fights. Then we get the main event. That's how these always go, and it's always a pain in the butt, and you always want to die somewhere between those two fights. It's, they just suck for that, they just suck. And even if the fights are good, you just don't care, because any mo- any momentum and any motivation you had for being excited for the rest of that card is dead after hype pieces and commercial breaks and a hype piece and a commercial break and then the fight and maybe the fight's just a bunch of clinching because both guys want to win and neither guy wants to embarrass themselves 
and then we get a commercial break and then a hype piece and then a commercial break and then the fight and just you see what i mean without fail i've covered some non-tough finale cards that were dogs that were long cards i have been here for the seven hour fight cards i have and they suck they really suck. They, they're they drags, man. They're just drags. These tough finale cards are, without fail, some of the least... They're just drags. They, they have the highest percentage, highest probability, of just... just dying in the middle of them. And, ugh, it's just... It always sucks. It almost always sucks. We'll see if this one breaks the pattern, but ugh, they're just they're just not good card. They're not well-paced events. They're just not. They never are. We'll see if this one changes that, but yeah, that's kind of where I stand on that. But Saturday, I will be covering it in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com, so stop by, say hello. I always appreciate it. All right. Um, let's talk fighter pay for just a minute or two here. Misha Tate did an interview. Um, I forget the outlet, so I apologize for that. But in this interview, she mentioned that of her $200,000 paycheck from the UFC for her return fight, 98% of it is gone. Um, and this kind of dovetails a little bit with Jared Cannonier going, I'm broke, so I have to keep fighting. Let me, let me, everything I'm about to say needs the following caveat. All fighters are underpaid. I've been over this. All fighters. Bottom of the card. They're underpaid, but, I mean, believe it or not, it's the guys at the top of the card who are losing the largest percentage of income based on what they draw versus what they get. That might, I mean, no one wants to feel sorry for someone making as much as those guys make, but it's true. They're... They are more underpaid than the fighter debuting in the UFC fighting for, you know, 8 and 8 or 10 and 10. I think 10 or 12, 10 and 10 and 12 or 12, I think is a bit more the standard rates these days. But point being, uh, look, Connor's underpaid. I've said this. I'm not a fan of Connor McGregor, but that man has generated record setting revenue for the UFC. And I guarantee you he is not paid commensurate with what he draws for them. Dustin Poirier is underpaid. Uh, John Jones is underpaid. John Jones has been underpaid his entire professional career. I guarantee it. Oh, but he said he makes, you know, around three million. I think he made around three to five million a fight. Yeah, John Jones, I don't care. Look, I'm not asking you to feel bad for the man. But if you look at what he draws for the UFC relative to what he is paid, he's underpaid. He draws more money for the UFC than most of the people fighting on the undercard. The under, guys on the undercard are still underpaid. I mean, the UFC, you know, the crypto people are paying the UFC a lot of money. The fighters see none of it. ESPN is paying the UFC a boatload of money every year. The fighters see none of that. Unless you want to argue the trickle-down theory, and I'm not, I'm not going to have that debate with people. I'm just not. If you, 
all we have to do is look at other similarly structured sports enterprises. NBA players, NFL players, uh, baseball players, even hockey players. I have to double check on hockey, but if you look at some of all of these other and I bring them up because that is how the UFC structures itself. Not because there's a one-to-one -one comparison in terms of anything else. There's not. There's a lot, a lot of reasons for that. But all of those players get around 50% of the television rights fees. Now, that has to be split up between everyone in the league, obviously. But, you know, if Fox pays the NFL a billion dollars a year, I don't know what they actually pay, but just run with the number for a minute or two here. If Fox pays the NFL a billion dollars a year to air their games, about half of that is then split between every player in the NFL. Now, the NFL players have mandatory minimums that they make anyway, and they, they make a fair amount of money, and etc. I'm not going to get into the whole economics of it. Point being... You know, ESPN pays the UFC whatever hundreds of, however much hundreds of millions of dollars they do per year, and the fighters see not one red cent. That that's not the way it quote unquote should be. I can yell about this all day long. That's uh, I'm not going to. The point I the point was everything that I'm about to say after this comes with that caveat. Every fighter on the UFC is underpaid. Every single one of them. And I that is indisputable at this point. The UFC pays its fighters. They claim around... They like to keep it around 20%. I maintain it's less. Some of the stuff they include in fighter compensation is ridiculous. Like the what they pay for USADA, they include in fighter compensation. I wouldn't be shocked if they count the entire overhead for the UFC PI as part of fighter compensation. But I don't know that they do or not. I just wouldn't be surprised if they did. So I, my number tends to be more around the 15 to 18% rather than 18 to 20 that most people assume. But they pay them less, right around 20%, a little bit less. That's what they pay out in fighter compensation year to year. And we know this. There is no debate. This is what it is. And that's almost ridiculously low when you compare it to any other similar setup, but I just want to make sure that that's out there, that I'm not, this isn't me waffling, this isn't me flip-flopping, this is me saying every fighter in the UFC is underpaid. Here's, here's the flip side of this. The UFC paid Misha Tate $200,000. If you have structured your fight camp and your fight in your career needs in such a way that you can't find a profit on a $200,000 payday, that's not the UFC's fault. That's a you problem. Now, I'm... It's not that I'm not... I mean, Cyril Ghosn, current, recently crowned interim heavyweight champion, came out and revealed what he took home from his total payday from his title-winning affair. And it wasn't much. Now, in Gon's case, he broke it down for everybody. He's I was paid X. I forget exactly how much it was. It wasn't it wasn't a bad. I think he was around the 200k mark when it, after winning. I think. I forgive me, but 
He then broke it down. I then paid X to my corner. I paid X to my train. You know, here's my fight-related expenses. Here's what I... And your fight-related expenses you pay before your before your income becomes taxable. That's what it means for something to be tax-deductible, right? For the most part. It means you pay this stuff out before you have your before your money is taxed so if you're a fighter you deduct stuff like your your uh, certain travel expenses your training your your you know your consultations with a nutritionist uh, it's all of that stuff that is that stuff gets paid before you have to pay any taxes on whatever you get that's how that works Individual state laws may vary a little bit, but uh, if you're, in, especially if you fight in Vegas, Vegas has very, very, part of the reason a lot of big fights happen in Vegas is because of the state of Nevada's tax laws. But I don't think that's, I don't think, I don't think this ki- this issue that Misha had came about because of fighting in, lo- in the state of Nevada. Whereas fighting in different states, it's a little bit different, but that's, that's why some guys don't like fighting in New York. Just throwing that out there. Um, but if you're not structuring your career and your camps, etc., in such a way that a $200,000 payday is profitable for you, the UFC is under zero obligation to structure your career. That's not on them at all. If there's no mystery about what you're getting either, as far as this goes, I mean, you there is some about whether or not you get your show and your win or not, but if your contract says you're getting 25 grand for your fight, which is sadly low, but point being, contract says you're getting 25 grand. Maybe you're 25 and 25, but you know I'm making $25,000. If you can't structure your... Uh, your career, you know, your expenses, your camps, your everything else, in such a way that that sees some that that twenty-five thousand dollars is a net positive for you. That that bit of financial literacy is on you, not the UFC. If uh, Misha's inability to properly manage a two hundred thousand dollar payout is not a UFC problem. Some of her problems in that case might not even be solved with a higher payout because so much of this becomes percentage-based. A lot of uh, managers and trainers, they some of this will, this is down to your relationship with your manager and your trainers, and that varies will vary wildly from fighter from individual levels. Some trainers take flat, some trainers take specific numbers at different points in your career, in, in terms of rather than taking percentages. By the time you're dealing with a Misha Tate, someone on that level, a trainer takes a percentage, not a flat number for the most part. This is again, it's a very kind of loose rule here. And it is variable depending on, you know, fighter and trainer to fighter and trainer. But that they take percentages. So if they paid Misha a million bucks, her trainer is still taking the same percentage that he took. Right. That's is kind of the long and the short of it there. The UFC does not... A $200,000 payout, again, Misha is underpaid, as is everyone. 
but you have to figure out how to manage your finances. And this goes to Jared Cannonier a little bit, too. When he said, I'm broke, I might have to keep fighting. He's underpaid. They're all underpaid. Again, got to stress that. Here's a slight bit of flip. Here's a little bit of a flip side for that for you for Cannonier. Cannonier fought once in, fought twice in 2019, was out for over a year before fighting Robert Whitaker, and then was out for just under a year before fighting Gastelum. The UFC, now, if they had a specific deal where fighters got a percentage of the TV rights, that would certainly help. Something they should have. I'm not going to be... That that exists. The UFC only pays you to fight. Which does mean if you don't fight, you don't get paid. And even if you got a percent, even if even if 50% of what ESPN pays the UFC was divided equally amongst all the 550 fighters on the roster. I don't know that's how many, but that's a good around five, somewhere between 500 and 600, usually closer to five is where the UFC roster is as a general most of the time. So I'm going to say 550 to split the difference. Take whatever the take half of whatever the UFC is pay, is paid by I don't remember the number but for the sake of argument let's call it 200 million dollars. Take 200 million, divide it by 550, you get that every year. Whatever that number happens to be. All right, if you want to do the math, do the math. I don't care. The UFC pays you when you fight, not when you don't fight. Even if you got their, uh, if you if you got a chunk of the right of the television fees, you would still not be paid for not. You would still not get anything extra because you need to fight. Gas and Cannoneer. Look, he broke his arm in the Whitaker fight. I'm not saying he should have risked even more serious injury, but if you fight once a year. Your finances are going to hurt. That's that's just kind of how that is, unless you make a lot, unless you make a higher base number. And that's that's also true of the NFL. You know, believe it or not, I don't know how many of you might be aware of this. The NFL pays its players once a week after the game. When the NF- if your team is when you're in the off season, NFL players aren't paid uh, by the team slash NFL. They get paid. Uh, look, this use I believe that's still the way it is. I'd have to double check, but if you uh, there's a really nice ESPN documentary actually. They call it Broke because it talks about how many NFL players go broke just about making a lot of money. Uh, you get. NFL players get paid for the season, and then there's no real income from the team slash NFL after that. So, I mean, you could now, that doesn't mean they're not making money in the offseason. Any of them that have sponsorships, that will keep coming in. Any merchandise deals that they have, that tends to be a little bit more of a year-round thing. But whatever the NFL pays you per game, like, uh, however much money they sign you for per year... That tends to come, again, like in weekly paychecks during the season, not every month for the year. So even in a even in a sport where there's much higher money to be made and you get it from more diverse sources, 
there is still that limitation. You are still being paid to perform a specific activity. You have to perform that activity to get paid. You fight infrequently, you're going to get paid infrequently. That's just the way it is. And again, I'm going to say this again, Jared Cannonier is underpaid like everyone on the UFC roster. Nisha Tate is underpaid like everyone on the UFC roster. But if you're not managing your finances such that the UFC's $200,000 check that they gave you for your win, if that's gone two and a half weeks later, I'm sorry, once the UFC hands you that check, that's on you now. <laughs> They're not responsible for your financial decisions. They should pay you more, they should pay everyone more, but that, but again... <laughs> They're not responsible for how you have structured your personal life, your personal finances. They're just not. And much as Misha Tate should be paid more, as everyone should, her saying, you know, 98% of my check is gone, well, you might want to have a look at how you're handling your finances then. Because the money that the UFC gave you is the extent of what they owe you. And even if they gave you more, that would still be the extent of it. And this is one of those things that... Why do so many NFL players wind up broke? Because they don't have the skills to manage their money, please. Please. If you get... You know, what's the deal? What's the line about winning the lottery? Hire a lawyer, hire an accountant. First things you do. If you get drafted into the NFL, you have won the lottery. Do the same thing. And then listen to the accountant. If you're in the UFC, at the moment, a lot of people might be hanging their hats on, well, if only I got more money. I'm not saying more money wouldn't be nice, and I'm not saying they shouldn't get it. I think they should. I've laid out that case plenty of times. But you ultimately have to be able to manage and handle that money. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything. Otherwise, having more is not going to fix your problem. It's only going to exacerbate it. So, just wanted to throw that out there since the fighter pay discussion came up again. Going to reiterate, every fighter on the UFC roster is underpaid, some criminally so. But the UFC is not responsible for managing your finances or your life. If, you, if you're struggling to make a make a check for $200,000 work for you a chunk of that is the majority of that is on you needing to manage your finances that's just how that is the UFC should be paying you more as a matter of principle because they should they absolutely should but they're not going to because they have not been forced to but there is personal accountability that comes along here. If you can't make $200,000 work, you might have to reassess how your, again, how your finances are, etc., etc. So, my two cents on that for whatever that's worth. All right, last little bit here. Uh, the UFC released a few people. Yancey Medeiros, Justin James, Jerome Rivera, and Ryan Benoit. Um, Medeiros had been around for a while. It had some exciting fights. Benoit seemed like a you know, fairly game flyweight, but they'd had some losses lately, as had Justin James, who had a decent enough 
uh, UFC debut, but fell off after that. Uh, it it sucks, it does, but that's also kind of the nature of the beast here. Uh, people get cut from sporting endeavors all the time. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I feel bad for those guys. You know, Medeiros was an action fighter, but ultimately you have to win at some point. Uh, I think that's everything. Let us check Twitter one more time, and then if nothing else is broken, we will get out of here. Nope. Nothing new in the combat sports world is broken while we've been recording, so what do we have for plugs? The usual slate of professional wrestling. AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. If MLW releases something on Wednesday, I will cover it. If not, that will continue to be a day off. Uh, WWE SmackDown on Friday on the heels of SummerSlam. And the returns, uh, not just the returns of Becky Lynch and Brock Lesnar, but they're going to be on SmackDown. Becky squashed Bianca Belair, and I laughed, man. I, this is not the venue to discuss my relationship with professional wrestling, but, uh, so I'm not going to, but I laughed. Uh, Becky squashed Bianca Belair to become the SmackDown Women's Champion. Brock showed up after Roman Reigns beat John Cena and stared down with Roman and then beat John Cena up after the pay-per-view went off the air. So, Brock and Roman is potentially interesting, especially with Paul Heyman being stuck in the middle between those two. Uh, Becky, I don't know. The SmackDown Women's Division is such a mess right now. It's it's such a mess. But they're both going to be on SmackDown, apparently, so I don't know which of them will be appearing. If either, I imagine Becky will, but... Uh, I will be covering that on Friday. And Saturday, UFC on ESPN 30. So all that is on 411 Mania in either the wrestling or MMA zones, as is appropriate for the context. Uh, as for other stuff, last week I was part of... I hosted, actually... The TV party for the Disney Plus series Loki. So if you're interested in... That was me, Alexis Haina, David Wright, and Andrew Graham. We had a nice little roundtable discussion about that particular series. The good, the bad, the otherwise. So you can listen to that. That is over on the W2M network. Uh, or you can type in TV party tonight in wherever you find your podcast. And it should pop up. Uh, so you can find that. Um, we... Uh, over on the W2M Network, they, re they are re-airing the Long Road to Ruin Hellraiser Part 1 and Part 2 that I and Sean Comer did. It was a lot of fun, so you can listen to those. That's from in the Wayback Machine. Uh, later this week, on Tuesday, Mark Radulich and I will be talking some anime because I like to torture him with it. On the plus side, I did find a great one. Uh, unironically, great anime. We'll be talking about Odd Taxi. That should be fun. And I... Um... I think that's it for me on the podcasting front. We'll be back here next week where we will review UFC on ESPN 30 and preview UFC on ESPN plus 49 when Derek Brunson will fight Darren Till. What else is on that card? Khalil Roundtree and Modestus Bukowskis. Yeah. Um, show me something good. Show me something good. Show me something good. Paul Craig was supposed to fight Anthony... Uh, Anthony... Alexander Gustafson. Gustafson fell out. That sucks. Um, what do we got? Something good. Something good. Something good. Gotta be something good here. 
Uh, okay, light heavyweight, actually. Magomed on Kalaev and Volkan Uzdemir. That's a very relevant fight for 205. That's a pretty good fight. Um, Paddy Pimblett is supposed to make his UFC debut against Luigi, Vendr Luigi Vendramini. Uh, Charles Jordan and Lerone Murphy, maybe? Bit of a sleeper pick there, but okay. So we'll have a full breakdown of and preview of that event next week. I hope you will all be back for it. Until then... I thank you all again very much for tuning in. It means the world to me that people listen to this show. I, especially now that I do it solo, for the most part. Um, knowing that there's people out there listening is a is a giant boon to uh, my mental health, quite frankly, at times. So I thank you all very much. I will see you next week. And until then, stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.